When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 289, and today we are talking about books being released in December 2020. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hey! Hey friend, how are you? Uh, A hot mess, as you know. (laughs) We're coming to you from (laughs) bookriot.com a few hours earlier than Liberty thought we were. (laughs) Hey, you know what? We're just switching it up on a Friday. It's fine. <laughs> well, like, you're on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast. And I, you know, we always have to, like, do the math, like, what time it is. And you're like, let's record at 1 p.m. PST. And I'm like, yes. And then I told it to my brain. And my brain took it to my calendar and went, 1 p.m. PST. That's 4 p.m. EST. And wrote that down. And then earlier you were like, here's the link to get started. I was like, what's happening? My brain is the worst at playing telephone. Just the worst. Yep. And you know what? If I did say one PST, then that's my fault. Uh, Because that would have been for your time. Um, So (laughs) to be fair. (laughs) No, I think I'm saying it wrong. I think you said 10. Okay. And I was like, if I did, that is all my fault. And here I am like, here's the link. Are you ready? So, you know. It's always my fault. So you sent that link and I was like, wow, she's getting things ready early. And then like the whole world just slowed down. I was like, I just like to sit at my desk with my headphones and microphone three hours ahead of time (laughs) to account for contingencies. Yeah. Well, like me. (laughs) (laughs) I am definitely one. So we are talking today about books being released in December because publishers, you know, they hold a lot back in this month because of the holidays. There's a lot going on, especially like an election year. So we're picking from the best of the whole month because we like to do our wrap up shows and you pulled the short straw because you're the only the only co-host who had to actually read books for this month. Uh, you know, <laughs> I feel special. I'm like so special. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, poor Vanessa. But it's going to be awesome. Before we get started, though, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Okay. I don't understand books that come out at the very end of the year, like the last day. Like, is it the best of 2020 book then? Yeah. Technically, it's like Such a Fun Age came out on December 29th or December 30th last year. You took the words out of my mouth. Yeah. So <laughs> a couple of these, including my first pick, Marion Lane and the Midnight Murder, comes out on December 29th, which is just like, what? But I mean, I might call it one of my favorite books of both years, you know, just like because it's so good. So this is Marion Lane and the Midnight Murder by T.A. Wilberg. It, I believe, is a debut, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's set in an alternate London in the 1950s. And in this London, there is an organization that works under the city. They are living, like, in the tunnels. Like, there's miles and miles of these unused tunnels under the city of London. And they're called Miss Brickett's Investigations and Inquiries. And they're detectives. And they're like the detectives that you reach out to when the police are stumped or if you have a tip about something. And all over the city, 
are these pneumatic tubes like you see at the bank. And you can say like, okay, I think my neighbor, you know, committed this robbery. Or you can say like, I know who did this. Or, you know, and you tell these detectives and they look into it and you never see them. Nobody knows who they are. But they like figure out what's going on and then they take the appropriate steps, which is usually like contacting the police. So they don't get a lot of credit. You know, they haven't been seen, but they're working there under the city. And so there is a young woman named Marion Lane, and she is recruited because you have to be asked. It's like a very secret thing. She is recruited to work at Miss Brickett's. And it's really cool because, like, it's this old bookstore is the front of the um, detective agency to the stairway into the tunnels. And it's never open. And it's just, like, packed to the gills with books. And so you have to walk through this bookstore and go down into the tunnels. And she's been working there for, like, four months. She's in her 20s. And around the four-month period, someone murders the filing assistant. There are these two filing assistants. Their job is to receive these messages and file them and send them off to the appropriate places. And she, one of the filing assistants in the middle of the night gets this weird message from one of the tubes. And it tells her to go to this room, like, down in the tunnels. And when she goes, mm, she's murdered. And it's quickly realized that because no outsiders are allowed into the tunnels and into Miss Brickett's and... They didn't have anybody visiting and hardly anybody was there. That whoever killed the filing assistant has to be one of them, has to be one of the detectives. So there's like a mystery in the detective shop. And it's so much fun. It's a little steampunky. Marion works on devices. You know, they have like cameras and video recorders, obviously, like which they didn't have in the 50s. And they have like little steampunk creatures It's awesome. And she is determined to solve this crime because one of her friends is suspected of committing it and she doesn't think that he did it. So she's going to look into it. Of course, it's like dangerous and somebody in there doesn't want her to find out. It's a little like Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore. It reminded me a little bit of Gattaca, the movie, which is weird, but like this whole like kind of top secret organization, you know, one of their own being responsible for, for killing one of their own. I had so much fun with this, and I'm like 99% sure that we are leading up to a second one. It's great fun. It's mystery. It's a little scary. It gets really intense in places, but like it's a mystery. It's funny. It's a great book about friendship. Uh, I do want to give content warnings for murder. There's also violence, chemical indulgence, a description of suicide on the page, and some gore. So if those are things you are sensitive to, just wanted to give you a heads up. But I loved this book, and I can't give it for Christmas because it comes out on the 29th, but I'm going to buy several copies and give them to everyone as soon as I can. It is Marion Lane and the Midnight Murder by T.A. Wilberg. You know, part of the reason I signed up to do ATV is just because I know when I show up, you're going to throw out a reference that I haven't heard in a really long time, like the movie Gattaca. <gasps> oh, thank you for that. <laughs> I stand for Tony Shalhoub all the time. Also, my favorite, uh, one of my very favorite uh, character actors is Xander Berkeley, who is also in that movie. And I have to tell you, this is totally off track and I'm going to ruin Gattaca for everyone. But I rewatched it a few weeks ago and I realized that the whole thing is hinged on the fact that Xander Berkeley saw Ethan Hawke pee. And I was like, that's it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing that made this work. Well, now I have to rewatch it. <laughs> it's true, though. Uh, I like to mute myself while Liberty's talking, like, just in case. And I, I mean, I just made all kinds of noises. It was like, did she just say Gattaca? And yeah, we're we're doing the Gattaca thing this Friday. I still oh, really well. enjoyed it, though. Cool. Well, now I have my Friday night squared away. Awesome. 
And now I will tell you about my first pick, which is a book that I'm not very far into because I had a last minute switch up, but I wish I had known about this one sooner because the premise is so awesome. So this book is called A Curse of Roses by Diana Pingisha. She is this fantastic Portuguese author. So for, oh, real quick, first of all, trigger warnings in her own words, internalized homophobia, religious-based self-harm, religious and magic-based disordered eating, and the curse word patriarchy. (laughs) Those are all her own trigger warnings. Um, But she's, again, this awesome Portuguese author, and she wrote this queer own voices historical fantasy that's based on the Portuguese legend around Isabella of Aragon, or as she says it in an accent I can't quite master, like Isabella of Aragao, I think. I love how she talks. (laughs) But first, I think it's awesome. She does this thing that I wish more authors would do, and maybe others do, and I just haven't noticed it, but I feel like it would be so helpful that she has a pinned story on her Instagram that says not only how to pronounce her name, which was just helpful, but like the characters' names. It was so wonderful. It was great to actually know how to say half this stuff. And then in looking that up, I found out that the legend that she's talking about is, you know, a real person, Isabel of Aragon, who lived in the 13th century. And in case you're like, yo, which Isabel is that? Because there's a gajillion royalties from Aragon in history. She is, she lived again in the 13th century. And at the time, Portugal was just plagued by famine. People would gather outside the castle to like beg for food. Queen Isabel would go out there and hand out like loaves of bread and her husband hated it. It's <laughs> like generosity? Well, I don't know her. And he would for- he forbade her from doing it again. So the legend is that she started hiding bread in her royal mantle and then would go on these daily outings so she could continue giving bread out, you know, on the sly. And then after a while, the king found out about these outings. He found them a little bit sus and was like, you know, aha, show me the bread. I know you have bread. And she apparently tried to play it off. She's like, it's just roses, my lord, it's roses. And he's like, no, I know it's bread. Like, show me the bread. And when she pulls her hand out of her mantle, miraculously, what she's holding is a bouquet of roses. So this became known as the Miracle of the Roses. She was canonized in part because of this miraculous event. Uh, So she's known as St. Isabel of Portugal. So that's like the, the basis of the legend. So in this book, Isabel is a young princess. And her blessing or curse, however you want to see it, is that she turns anything she touches, sorry, any food she touches into flowers. So she touches bread, it turns to roses. If she tries to eat a piece of cheese, it turns into a lily. And again, there is famine plaguing the land, and she feels terrible and conflicted because she wastes food simply by trying to eat it, you know, or touch it. She can't swallow the food, like nothing, you know, anything she touches. So she's starving, and you know, she starts to realize that she now is going through the same thing to some degree as you know, her, her people. Like, everybody's starving, and so she's enduring some of that same pain. She finds out that there is a way to reverse that magic, and that is to visit or find an enchanted mura, which a mu- enchanted mura or a mura encantada is a supernatural being from Portuguese folklore. And she's trapped by magical binds, and she says, you know, I can help you reverse the curse, I can do it, but you have to set me free, and you have to do so with a kiss. Isabel is betrothed to the king of Portugal. She knows that having anything to do with Isabel would be treason, but she's like, what good is, you know, my marriage, my betrothal, or like the, the, the kingdom itself, like if my country is starving to death. So she does agree to kiss this enchanted Buddha, whose name is Fatian. And with just one kiss, everything changes, both with the spell, but also her feelings, which get super complicated. I didn't know, I don't think anything about <laughs> this particular 
you know, Isabel. And it was just such a compelling, like what I've read so far is really great. I love the queer reimagination. It's such a fun story. I, I do remember reading a whole lot about how saints got canonized because I went to Catholic school. It's like, this is a much better version of the story. So yeah, I, I hope to get a little bit further into it today. But what I have read of it so far is really intriguing. And that's A Curse of Roses by Diana Pingisha. Okay. My next pick is Red Hands by Christopher Golden. Now, in 2020, the year of our pandemic, people's reading habits have been really Half of the people are in the all your dark books are belong to me. You know, they want everything dark and disturbing that they can get their hands on. And then the other half of the readers seem to be in the I only want to read happy, nice books this year, like about bunnies and their artisanal carrot jam startup or something like that. They just want happy books. And this book, Red Hands, is in the first camp. So if you're only looking for happy books, you're going to want to skip this and skip this description because it is a horror thriller. It's really good, but it's very, very disturbing. So I'm going to give you one second to make up your mind. Okay, so it starts, there's a 4th of July parade. It's in a little town in New Hampshire. And as the parade is going on, a car careens into the path of the parade and many people are injured, many people are killed. And this man gets out of the car and anyone who goes near him if he touches them, they immediately fall to the ground and die. And it's becoming quite apparent that like he has some kind of strange touch or something. No one really knows what's going on. But there's a young woman there named Maeve. She's in her 20s. And she's like, somebody has to stop him. And she goes up behind him. And when she touches him, she catches what he has. Instead of dying, she, she now has it. And it becomes apparent that nobody knows how to get rid of it what's happening, you know, and there's helicopters that have started circling, and she runs off into the White Mountains. She's She runs off into the woods, and now this weird organization from this lab is looking for her, the police are looking for her, vigilantes are looking for her, you know, like when the word gets out that, you know, there's this woman hiding in the woods and she's got this thing, people are looking for her. And so now Ben Walker is a scientist. He's a scientist. They call him the weird stuff scientist. He is always sent to places when things that can't be explained are happening. And he works for the Global Science Research Coalition. And the government calls him and says, we need you to find her. And so his job is kind of on the line. He hasn't had a good relationship with his bosses be previous to this. And he's like, okay, I'm going to try. Like, I don't know why you think I could do it any more than anyone else, but I'm going to go for it. And the story is told in... Several points of view. There's Ben's point of view. There's Mae's point of view. There's uh, her family members' points of view. And Chris Golden has such love for his characters. I mean, he's just consistently an excellent writer. And I have to say, full disclaimer: Chris is a friend of mine, but I was a fan of his before I met him through a mutual acquaintance. So the love was already there before I had met him. Um, and I just, I think he's just like such a nice guy, and he just consistently writes excellent work. And he has such love for his characters. Even the people that we only see for briefly, like you already like feel like you know a lot about them. This is actually the third book in the Ben Walker series. However, you don't have to have read the first two to follow this one at all. So you could pick it up right now if you want to frighten the hell out of yourself or your loved ones. I will say, as far as content warnings, just basically expect them all. Uh, it's It's a horror thriller, so there's some seriously scary stuff there's some seriously upsetting stuff 
but it's fast paced and it is excellent. So that is Red Hands by Christopher Golden. And this one actually comes out uh, today, the 8th. I like how we have a theme about touching, like my girl touches cheese and becomes a hydrangea and like your guy touches a thing and they die. <laughs> Slightly more morbid. But... Yeah, not good. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to pivot real hard now with my next one, which is Yoga Where You Are, Customize Your Practice for Your Body and Your Life by Kat Hegberg and Diane Bondi. This book hit, was just so perfectly timed for my life and possibly for a lot of you all too. So as you know, we've all mentioned and just because we're experiencing experiencing it if i can use my words 2020 has been you know a year and one thing that took a huge dive for me and for a lot of people was trying to find you know that balance of mental health which for me includes trying to be active in some way and that's obviously different for everybody i live in a smallish apartment you know in a city where there's you know there's no gyms and everything is closed the weather is getting kind of cold so you know yoga was a thing that i finally decided to kind of try to pick back up and has been really really helpful for me but a thing that is frustrating about not just yoga to be fair it's kind of like all fitness practices because i'm a huge pilates person too is that so much of this industry has been built around like a specific body type. It's weird that you're supposed to like be fit to do fitness. <laughs> like, and it's frustrating for anybody that has a body that looks anything different than that. I myself am like a curvy girl and and it's not just size. There's also issues of accessibility. Like, you know, people that are disabled don't often get books like targeted towards them as far as like, you know, yoga and fitness. So that is the whole premise of this book is to try to kind of destigmatize and to make the case that yoga is literally for everybody and that accessibility is strength and that that is something that, you know, most people, more people should focus on. So Kat Hegberg and Diane Bondi are both instructors or have been at least at Yoga International, which is this pretty giant yoga platform online. Kat is the editor of the site and also the co-editor of another essay collection whose name is escaping me, but it came out this year and it was all essays focused on using yoga to deal with like trauma, grief, addiction, and loss. And Diane Bondi, I, I only recently actually heard of her because of her presence on this podcast that I love called the Food Heaven Podcast. It's two registered dietitians that are just talk about intuitive eating. So like not dieting and not focusing on weight loss, but literally just le learning how to eat intuitively. And Diane did a really cool spot on the podcast talking about you know, making physical activity like yoga accessible for all bodies. She's a celebrated yoga teacher. She's a social justice activist. She's like a leading voice in this yoga for all movement. And the book is broken down. The introduction itself is just so great because it literally says like, this is a book that we designed to be able to, like for people to be able to use this no matter where you're at in your journey. Like, are you just coming to yoga? Great. We'll help you set up a practice. Are you a teacher who is looking to make your spaces more inclusive? Great. Start at this chapter. Are you a teacher in training? You know, it, it goes pretty well into that. And it's broken up into several sections. Like the first one is a bit of a history on the origins of yoga. And then it talks all about like yoga and body image, <laughs> like 10 steps for starting your yoga practice. And also it, what I love that this book drives home is that you do not need, in addition to a certain body type, fancy props or clothes. <laughs> like, you know, you do not need any of that. It goes into breathing and focus. There's chapters on meditation, on how to use props and that you can use props that might even be everyday household items. This awesome glossary of terms and poses with like photos of all the poses, everything from foundational stuff to, you know, like Shavasana, like the ending repose pose, repose pose. 
and step-by-step uh, step step instructions that include modifications. And it, they spend a lot of time talking about how modifications in yoga, like they're so often painted as like, and here's the easier way to do this. And it's not that. It's that our body structures are all different. And this doesn't, again, have necessarily to do with size. Like I felt so seen in this section where she talks about how so many of the poses are inaccessible to people with long torsos. Like my arms aren't short per se, but my torso is really long. So there are certain poses that I'm like, how are you doing that right now? My arms aren't long enough for that. And it was so great to actually see somebody address the fact that like not enough modifications for that are built. We're like, yeah, what if you have a curvier body? Like, girl, I can't get my leg to do the thing you want it to do. And I'm flexible. I just have more of a substantial body size than the person in this instructional you know, video. So everything from like learning how to customize your practice, they give you sample sequences, recommended resources for stuff that they recommend that you look into and that also helped inform the book. There's just so much to love about this. And it's a book that I am going to go out and buy, even though I have you know the galley, because I want this to be by my side when I'm sitting here trying to do yoga. And none of the, you know, most anyway of the classes and stuff that I see online do not address people that are either disabled, have a bigger body, or have any of the, again, like restrictions that I just talked about as far as like, my arms don't do that. So anyway, really great book that is not at all focused on size, that they don't talk about dieting. It is literally just like, great, you want to do yoga? Here's how. So really, really, really recommend this one. That is Yoga Where You Are. Customize your practice for your body and your life by Kat Heckberg and Diane Bondi. All right. It's my next pick. I'm sad to say that I have not finished it. But I was loving it so much that I needed to talk about it today. It's called Revolutions of All Colors by Dwayne Feria. It comes out on December 14th. And this morning, I was like, hey, I have a few hours before we record the podcast. I'm going to start a new book. And I started reading this book. And I was like, this book is incredible. I'm going to read this and I'm going to talk about it on the show. And then Vanessa rudely interrupted me with the truth, which was that I did not have ah. as much time to read this book as I thought I did. So I'm a quarter of the way into it, but it's excellent. And the description says it's about three friends who go around the world, like they're in the military and they face problems in their lives and then they get back together uh, in the States. Uh, however, I've read the first quarter of this book already and we just met these young men. Um, the first part of the book is actually about a young woman who is the daughter of a deacon. She's a brilliant thinker and she becomes involved with a man who is part of a chapter of the Black Panthers in New Orleans. It's like 1970 at this time. And the writing is so good. I can't find any reviews of this on Goodreads. I can't find like anything about it anywhere except on the Syracuse University Press website. But I'm so glad that I picked this up and I'm going to be going right back to it as soon as we finish here. It, the writing is just beautiful and it's hard and it's fascinating and i kept reading sentences over, not because I wasn't understanding them, but because I thought they were incredible. So I'm loving this book. But that's all I can tell you about it. Except, oh, I can tell you that this won the 2019 Syracuse University Veterans Writing Award, which I looked it up on their website, is open to U.S. veterans and active duty personnel in any branch of the U.S. military and their immediate family members. They get $1,000 and a contract, which is great. I'm going to look up some of their other writing after this because I just loved this. So if you want an amazing novel, at least the first quarter of it, I'm guessing it's probably going to be awesome all the way through. It is Revolutions of All Colors by Dwayne Feria. And that brings us to our next sponsor. All right, Vanessa, what you got? 
So this is a book that I am loving. I have like the tiniest bit left in it, but so far it's great because it's just so weird. (laughs) This is A Certain Hunger by Chelsea G. Summers. (laughs) So if you ever have sat and wondered to yourself, like, what if Ruth Reichel was actually a psychotic serial killer? (laughs) That's basically what this book feels like. (laughs) Ruth Reichel, for anybody who doesn't know, is a very kind of accomplished, famous food writer. She's won the James Beard Award. She's a restaurant critic because she was like the force behind Gourmet Magazine. She's fantastic. But so this book introduces us, which is fiction, just to be 100% clear, like Ruth Reichel is not actually out here killing people. It's a work of fiction and we meet Dorothy Daniels, who is a 51-year-old best-selling author, revered food writer, and James Beard Award winner. So that's where the parallel came from. And she also happens to be serving a 20-year prison sentence. And so she's telling us all about her storied and violent career, as you will soon see, from inside of this prison cell. So she essentially was at the top of her game. She was, again, she was writing about food and winning all these awards. And then as time passed, she realized that she was sort of watching her star begin to fade. She's like, I've seen how this goes. I'm not going to shrink into obscurity. So instead, I'm going to pick up a new hobby. And the hobby she picks up is to begin traveling the world. Okay, great. Eating its food. Fantastic. And also eating its men. Literally. Uh, So if body horror is a thing for you, and specifically what I mean by body horror here, I (laughs) let's just say my girl goes a little Hannibal Lecter on us, like that kind of body horror. I'm like, when (laughs) she serves a rump roast at one point, And it is a literal rump roast, if you are picking up what I'm putting down. I'm not trying to be funny. It's like an actual thing. But she, yeah, she just basically tells you in these very, not stoic, but creepy, because I mean, she's talking with little to no remorse about how this became her violent delight. It's kind of campy horror mixed with a foodie travel memoir. It's weird. It's it's original. I don't, I can't think of a book that, that is told from this particular vantage point in such a way. She very much makes it a point to say that she relishes this like violent, unapologetic power that she feels when she, you know, eats her subject's liver or whatever it is. It it was, I I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't this, but it is really great and definitely falls a little bit into that camp that Liberty talked about earlier. We're like, do you want like really disturbing reads? (laughs) It's definitely more in that first camp. So it's a lot of fun, even if it is super creepy. (laughs) That's A Certain Hunger by Chelsea G. Summers. It's awesome, but you know me. Indeed. I like the dark, disturbing ones. <laughs> exactly. But she's also a great writer. I, I'm pretty sure I've read something else by her, but it's, I'm not remembering it. It's not my best day. <laughs> <laughs> Me and the truth. So my last pick is also out on December 29th. It got bumped. It was supposed to come out on the 5th of January, and it got moved to December 29th. I have no idea why. But it is The Mystery of Mrs. Christie by Marie Benedict. Now, I... I'm a huge Agatha Christie fan. I know Vanessa is a huge Agatha Christie fan. And this is the story of how, in December of 1926, Agatha Christie, the famous mystery author, went missing. They found her car on the side of the road, no sign of her, and immediately her husband Archie is a suspect. And 11 days later, she turns up and has amnesia, says she doesn't know what happened. She has no idea what happened. Like, they find her at this spa, you know, checked in under a different name. And so this novel follows not only the events of her disappearance and what Benedict thinks might have happened, but also like the events leading up to her, like when she meets her husband and when they fall in love and they get married and like some looks at their marriage uh, before she disappears. So now 
If you don't know the story of Agatha Christie disappearing and you don't want it spoiled for you, I would stop here because I'm going to talk about it a little bit. As a huge Agatha Christie fan, I've read several takes on this story. I've watched several things. You know, I know it really well. So my only problem, like I hate to say anything negative about anything, and it's not a negative problem, but for me, I already know that her husband is a wanker. Basically, like (laughs) he was a horrible... A horrible husband. He was cheating on her. He was terrible to her. And then he was going to leave her for this this young woman that he met. And so when they find her after 11 days, like, she's checked in under that woman's name. I mean, she basically gone-girled him and let him, you know, sweat it out for some time. And it's like... I'm spoiling it, I guess, for everyone if they don't know that story. But I thought everyone knew the story. But, you know, there's a recent movie about this. Uh, there's a BR podcast, Book Riot podcast about this. I myself am partial to the Doctor Who explanation, which was giant alien wasps. And it was fun to just spend time with Agatha Christie still. You know, as an Agatha Christie fan, I was like, yes, this is Agatha Christie. And I did. I really enjoyed the book. But like I said, the only thing is that I already know that her husband stinks. So. If you know someone who's never read the story or you love Agatha Christie, uh, I invite you to check out The Mystery of Mrs. Christie by Marie Benedict. I, one of these days, will get to the ATB doc before Liberty, but that rarely happens because Liberty's like in 2023 and I'm in 2019. But I absolutely want to read this book. Do they, do they paint the husband as not being a wanker or do they at least get that part right? Mm. Well, I mean, not at, not at first, you know. Okay. Okay. I was going to be mad if they were like, and he's actually a gentle soul. Like, no. But I'll find out for myself <laughs> is the answer to that question. <laughs> okay. So I'll finish us off here. My last pick is another personality that I had learned about because of podcasting. <laughs> that is Survival of the Thickest by Michelle Buteau. If you don't know who Michelle Buteau is, she's a comedian. She's a stand-up comedian. She is a actress. She is a host of a couple podcasts, one called Adulting and one called Late Night Whenever. I don't think they're both going still, especially with the pandemic. But I learned about her because she was a guest several times, I believe, on the Two Dope Queens podcast, which ran from 2016 to, I think, 2018. It was hosted by Jessica Williams and Phoebe Robinson, who you may know from books like You Can't Touch My Hair and Everything's Trash, But It's Okay. I love both of those women dearly. And the podcast was so great because it introduced me to so many amazing comedians and a lot of women comedians of color, which I find, you know, fantastic. And Michelle Buteau is one of those people. She is hilarious. She's crass. She's super fun. So she writes, you know, wrote this collection of essays, and it is all about her life, as you can we probably know. But she has an interesting life so in the sense that she is the daughter of a Haitian man, I think, who is of Lebanese descent, and her mom is Jamaican of French descent. I think her mom is half white. And so Michelle herself, if you look at her, as you'll see on the cover, is this curvy girl with big, gorgeous, curly hair, very light skin and freckles. So she does spend a decent amount of the book talking about how she her, her appearance has just like confused the hell out of people since she was a child. Like she lived in New York, no, in Jersey. She's a Jersey girl. She's very proud of being a Jersey girl. And so she, people were always thinking and assuming that she was Puerto Rican. They would question her blackness, which is obviously not great. So a lot of the book is, yeah, reflection on growing up. A black woman who was often confused for not being a, being a black woman, uh, growing up Caribbean, which is its own thing, uh, growing up Catholic and thick, as she says, you know, in New Jersey. We follow her along on her journey when she goes to college in Miami. She initially intended to pursue journalism. And so she, we 
follow her along as she tells us kind of how she came to find comedy after initially wanting to go into journalism, which I will warn you on audio gets really, really real because I, I didn't know in all my years of following her that the thing that really officially made her pursue comedy after people had been telling her to do so was 9-11. Like she was in a newsroom the day that 9-11 happened. And in this audio, this woman who is so like effervescent and funny and like always laughing and cracking jokes got really, really emo. Like you can hear her voice cracking when she talks about what it was like to sit there and cover, you know, as the towers were literally being crushed into like in front of her and having to edit coverage where she had to edit out the people jumping off the buildings, like how, you know, what that was like and how it, it obviously hurt her and it affected her. And then gave her that sense of like, well, listen, life really is short and maybe it's time to do this thing I said I was going to do. And then, you know, it's very, very touching in that moment, but it's also just so hilarious. Like, as you probably know, being a stand-up comedian is not for the weak. <laughs> like, it is a slog in the beginning. You're playing at, you know, dive bars and just tiny venues. You're often not getting paid. Or if you are, you're being put up in like really, really terrible motels. There is this story that I laughed out loud for like a solid five minutes. So she went, she opened at this, or, or did a routine, I should say, at this small comedy club, I think in like Rochester in New York. And a woman in the audience stopped her afterwards, was like, I loved your show. You were so funny. Would you by any chance be interested in hosting this charity event that I'm about to do? I have like awful stage fright and I just can't bring myself to do it. Like I would, I'll pay you 50 bucks like and feed you chicken wings. And she's and literally, this is what she says. And she's like, yeah, sure. Like what's, what's the benefit? She's like, oh, we're benefiting the American Stroke Association. And she's like, cool. So she goes to this, you know, to backstage and she's getting ready to interview people and like ask them about them so she can know what to say when she's, you know, introducing these personalities that are going to perform, except that the American Stroke Association is the funny little name that this lady gave to an all-male review. And so what she thought was going to be this like serious charity event is absolutely just like a male stripper performance and things get really wild, really fat, like very funny, <laughs> very fast. And then from there, we also follow her along into the fact that she ends up marrying into this like Dutch family. Her husband is very white and very Dutch. And then we follow her too when she decides that she wants to become a mother and has some struggles with that going through IVF and surrogacy and Really, the book is a reflection not just on her career in comedy, but in body positivity, in being a woman of color in a space that has traditionally not made a lot of space for people like her. And it's just done with her like very characteristic humor and honesty. It, it was very, very, very funny. And also, like I said, touching at points. So I'm gonna stop now. But that book is fantastic. And that is Survival of the Thickest by Michelle Buteau. Okay, those are some great New books coming out in December. What are you going to read next? I am going to reread, I really am going to reread one of the Christmas-themed Agatha Christie books. I can't decide if I want to do The Adventure of the Christmas Pudding or Hercule Perrault's Christmas. It's going to be one of those. And then probably The Mystery of Mrs. Christie right after that, because it's December. There's also a new collection I know. or a new collected collection called Midwinter Murders, which I just received, which is one of the new William Morrow books, or I should say I just purchased. I might read those. That's a good idea. Ooh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. I'm going to finish my Revolutions of All Colors novel that I'm absolutely loving before you so rudely interrupted me with, you know, my assigned work. <sighs> Dang. Uh, <laughs> and then I plan to read The Other Black Girl by... Zakia Delilah Harris, which has been getting tons of buzz, tons of buzz. The rights to it sold before the manuscript was even finished. 
And the publisher description says, It is Get Out meets The Devil Wears Prada in this electric debut about the tension that unfurls when two young black women meet against the starkly white backdrop of New York City book publishing. I am ready for this. Mm-hmm. Thanks for talking about books with me. I'm sorry that, you know, you had to actually read them this month. <laughs> <laughs> All good. While everyone else was like, wee! <laughs> At least they were fun. And also, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to talk about Agatha Christie or anything else. You can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD, and I am Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter, which just hit a huge milestone. You know, our boss called me the other day to tell me about it, and I was just like, you know, thank you to everyone out there who's been reading and subscribing. And I was so touched. And we celebrated quarantine style here at my house by drinking Sprite and champagne glasses. And, you know, if you haven't signed up for it, you can find a link in the show notes. And in the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.